Hello, and thanks for listening to Forward, a podcast about the compelling stories, important issues, and memorable art that move us. My name is Mari. And my name is Christopher. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're talking about what it means to be a man and how our traditional ideas about masculinity are long overdue for a change. But before that, we'll get started with our article forward segment, where we each share a story that got us thinking this week. Mari, what do you have for us? So this is an NPR article called, What Kind of Parent Are You, Carpenter or Gardener? Psychology and philosophy professor Alison Gopnik describes in her new book, The Gardener and the Carpenter, two styles of parenting, aptly, the carpenter style and the gardener style. The carpenter style parent is one who believes that they can shape their child into becoming a certain way by controlling many elements of the child's life. The gardener, on the other hand, focuses on giving the child a safe and nurturing environment and gives the child freedom to explore without attempting to control the outcome. Gopnik argues that the gardener philosophy is better suited to the raising of human children based on her decades of research as well as what we know about the history of human families and child rearing. As we've discussed in previous episodes, the way that children learn the most important skills for their healthy development is through freely chosen self-motivated play. The gardener parent facilitates this by relinquishing control over the child's activities and giving the child the space to learn organically. The carpenter, on the other hand, would likely prefer more direct instruction and control over the child's activities, which Gopnik argues leads to anxiety for both parents and children. To me, this just corroborates everything else I've been reading about child development, education, and parenting, namely that children want to learn and they're very good at it. So we should focus more on providing them a fertile ground in which they can sow the seeds of their learning and then step back and let them grow. Totally agree. And my article is, What Happens When Every Citizen Receives a Universal Basic Income? So what would happen if everyone received $12,000 a year from the government? Sounds like an impossible idea, right? Well, as the threat of automation and machines taking over our jobs looms, the idea of universal basic income is quickly going from the unrealistic to an actual reality. And the idea is pretty simple. In most cases, the government would provide each citizen, with the exception of the ultra-wealthy, a baseline level of income each year so people can cover the essentials, food, shelter, with no questions asked. Like I said, it's a simple premise, but the benefits are countless. The money would immediately lift people out of poverty and give those of any walk of life much-needed support, should they not be able to work, choose to go back to school full-time, or just quit the workforce to enjoy the simple life. This Lifehacker article serves as a great introduction to the concept of basic income, including how it works, why we should consider it, what the research shows, and whether or not it's a political reality. It also provides helpful links to essays and books in case you're interested in learning more. Really, as our society pushes full steam ahead towards an automated future, you can really expect the topic of basic income to be a major topic of debate. For sure. I hope that we keep talking about it. Uh, both of those links will be in the description on SoundCloud. Next up is our forward-thinking segment. In this segment, we take a closer look at a topic that's been on our minds. This episode, we're talking about why our society's traditional ideas about masculinity are in desperate need of changing, and how we can help men and boys of all ages overcome the toxic notions of masculinity that pervade in our culture. The toxic effects of our outdated ideas about masculinity are really everywhere, even in the White House. 
Despite the massive changes in our society over the last century, some of our ideas about what it means to be a man are nearly as old as time. So while the cultural identities of women, people of color, LGBTQ individuals have evolved with the times, most boys are feeling the pressure to conform to an archetype that doesn't exist anymore and maybe never did in the first place. The emotional, physical, and societal toll of this pressure is real. How can we as a society start to evolve our ideas about masculinity for the sake of our boys and heck, the world? Mari, how about you get us started? From the perspective of someone who works with young children, how can we start to raise boys so they don't feel the need to conform to our antiquated ideas of masculinity? It's a really good question. And, you know, among early childhood circles, I feel like it is something that comes up a lot. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people in early childhood are kind of like me, you know, they're liberal, like they are fully accepting of LGBTQ people and, you know, they want their classrooms to be diverse and accepting. Um but you know, a lot of people don't think like me, and more importantly, a lot of parents don't think like me. And even though you know they themselves might consider themselves to be, you know, very liberal, very progressive, when it comes to their little boy, a lot of even young parents, even parents who are our age or younger, are very resistant to really simple things like a boy, you know, wearing a barrette in his hair, or playing with a doll, or wearing a pink shirt. Things that are you know, objectively really harmless and don't matter at all and are actually kind of cute. Um, and a lot of parents get really uncomfortable with that. So I think that's something that educators struggle with a lot is, you know, wanting to break down gender barriers and to, you know, promote, you know, non-stereotypical um, gender behavior in the kids that they work with, especially young kids, because little, little kids, are they want to do everything. Um, but you don't want to uh, do something that parents are going to be uncomfortable with. So, but one thing that that I always try to focus on with all kids, but it's especially important with boys, is uh, the idea of consent, because um, that's something that's important for everyone to be aware of at every age, and it's extremely important to start that kind of conversation as young as possible. If for nothing else, then just you know, kids need to understand that their bodies belong to them and that other people aren't allowed to touch their bodies without their permission. It's a super, super important concept that I think like maybe just now people are starting to focus on teaching to to young kids because previously there's been this idea that it's something that kids can't understand, but it's totally something kids can understand, you know? Well, and it's so funny that you say that this is something that you're focused on and other teachers that you work with but when it comes to the parents maybe less so it kind of validates some of the research I was doing just before even going into this like I was kind of just curious like do people really talk about this and when I was researching I was surprised to find the number of articles that were basically saying the total opposite of what we're talking about right now mm -hmm. that if anything we need to go back to more traditional ideas of masculinity Articles and, are saying that? Well, sorry. Articles is a strong word. <laughs> blog posts? It's kind of blog posts by like the casual troll. Yeah. Like I think, I forgot what my Google search result is, but the third result was just some stupid troll blogger talking about everything that's gone wrong with modern masculinity and just asking like what happened. And when I was reading this, I immediately knew this guy's got to be a troll. 
But then there were 30 comments on the post totally agreeing with him. Yeah. So it it's just you step one side outside of your comfort zone and it's a completely different world on this topic. Totally. Well, and the thing is, too, that it's not just, you know, trolls or people who are really hateful or, you know, who are so afraid of women or anything like that. It's people who are, you know, otherwise very well-meaning and very typical kind of like everyday people but they are so obsessed with gender especially with babies you know like the gender reveal party is this huge thing right now for some reason these like gender reveal cakes and like you know decorating your nursery for your baby girl or whatever and it's so strange because obviously a newborn baby has zero concept of gender or you know sex or anything Uh, and obviously they have no means or desire to express their gender it's something that's totally just projected on infants by their parents and their parents are doing it out of love you know they like they love their baby and they want to you know use every possible method for expressing their love for their baby and one of those methods for some reason happens to be like being like my my baby girl is the girliest girl that's ever girled or you know the opposite for the boy and they don't think about that having negative repercussions but it does yeah and i thought a lot about why do we even need this which i think we'll talk later on down the road about why we need gender but a lot of what i kept coming back to is we're so tribal Mm -hmm. in a way and that even when you're talking about like my new girl is the girliest of all it just feels like this welcoming to the tribe right it's like you're growing up this is what our society is looking for from Mm -hmm. you and it's this role that you need to fulfill yeah well and to that point there there's all this like you know whenever like someone gets pregnant or like they find out the sex of the baby it's like oh if it's a boy like oh you know he's gonna be fishing with his dad and like you know the the dad maybe gets all these ideas in his head about what his relationship is going to be with his son and same thing with the mom you know she's like envisioning this future with this cute little girl and like all the dresses she's gonna buy for her and like getting her first manicure and piercing her ears and stuff like that and you know again these these feelings aren't coming from a negative or hateful place it's just that's what you are kind of conditioned to think about with regard to your child and so I think a lot of times that's kind of where the resistance comes from when you see your child behaving in ways that you consider to be gender non-conforming it makes them really nervous because this future that they've envisioned and that they're so in love with and that they're really looking forward to and expecting is suddenly in jeopardy but you know realistically you know you're still gonna have a great future with your kid and you're still gonna have great times with your kid maybe you won't do all the things that you thought you would do but that's fine yeah and and i think when it comes to boys it's such a spectrum where it's harmless stuff like wanting to bring your kid out on the boat to fish even though fishing is this kind of classic male activity I think when it starts to get dangerous is when you start to subconsciously interject these more harmful traits, Mm -hmm. like the kind of kind of that idea of like the strong silent type. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's kind of where the problems start. And even just to get started for this discussion, I kind of wrote down what do we mean when we think of kind of like more traditional masculinity. 
and right it's people who are you know physically strong they're kind of reserved um but they're also you know like aggressive and dominant there's someone who is like always always in control and i tacked on this idea that they're kind of like sexually desirable Mm -hmm. and when i list out all that stuff again it conjures this john wayne type of person Mm -hmm. but looking at the raw traits i'm like who would ever want to be this person yeah exactly well and like you're saying this stuff starts so young and you don't you don't think that parents would do this but i've seen parents of little boys like two years old or younger kind of saying things like oh you know just walk it off like you're not really hurt like that kind of thing but they don't say that to girls you know they they even even at like before these kids are even able to really speak they're expecting boys to be you know strong and not show their emotions and not cry and that kind of thing and that uh, you know like you're talking about is what becomes so toxic later on because they're from from infancy they're these boys are basically told you can't show that you're sad and if you know you can't like show anything that you're feeling um and that leads to men who don't know how to express their feelings and that leads to men who are violent and because they don't know what to do with themselves yeah i mean by the very definition of masculinity where your emotions are reserved you're just permanently stunting your own development Mm -hmm. it's a bizarre thing that anyone would want to strive for because it permanently cripples you totally well and even the stuff um like with the the barrettes and and you know playing with girl toys or whatever um because with little girls you know the little girls can wear pants and you know if they're like playing with trucks or something oh it's so cute she's you know mm-hmm. playing with the boys you know, stuff and parents don't have the same anxiety necessarily some some of them do but i from my experience i don't see as much anxiety about girls doing quote-unquote boy stuff as there as there is over boys doing quote-unquote girl stuff and what you're teaching both boys and girls I mean, all, all children in that moment is that boy stuff is for everybody and therefore it must be good right if it's good for everybody then it must be overall good but girl stuff is only good for girls and it's bad for boys so then what does that say about girl stuff and then what does that say about girls right oh yeah i mean really what it means to be a man what it actually means is you're not a girl oh absolutely it's like we'll tack on any new trait that's Mm -hmm. needed for what it means to be a man as long as it's the exact opposite of what the girls are doing yeah that's so much of masculinity is really just defined as not being like a woman oh for sure and i think a lot of it too and and we'll get into this more often but like you need to start thinking more critically Mm -hmm. about yourself and what you're hearing and your own development which is annoying because we kind of just want to be on autopilot Mm -hmm. but when you're when you're on autopilot is you you just start passively soaking up Mm -hmm. all these negative influences and then you don't know what to do with them totally um but to to kind of get back to more like what can we do to help little boys not grow into toxic men um like I like I was saying before, the idea of consent is super important because I I do think that there is this idea um, among people that men can you know, like men are allowed to just like touch women for some reason, you know, and and that obviously like that gets into like much worse stuff 
but it it happens in like in really small and seemingly innocuous ways too but i think that that's a really like talking about consent in in terms of like this is your body and other people can't touch your body unless you say it's okay uh is a super important idea for for a lot of other reasons not just like reasons of sexual assault because there you know there are plenty of times just in regular life where you just you know where people might be coming into contact with you or touching you in ways you just don't want them to and you should be allowed to tell them not to do that and especially for little kids where you know sometimes they're like you know sensory processing is kind of weird or like they're really sensitive to certain things um and they're also testing the boundaries of what's okay in social situations like you know how hard can I push this person you know what like what will happen if I kick the ball and it hits them in the face you know what I mean having a pretty hard and fast rule of you can't do something to somebody unless they say it's okay is just a great rule of thumb for everybody yeah and I like that you brought up that first because in in my mind that's incredibly important but it's also just a symptom of a larger problem where you said kind of men there's this idea that men are you know like allowed to touch women and that boys are also testing their boundaries but it almost seems on a bigger scale though that men are just allowed to do whatever they want of course right yeah and that's kind of where the idea of like boys will be boys comes from Uh right that men can do whatever they want And and you talk about boundaries well, there is no right, right? exactly. They can just, they can just, it's what they know, can get away with. It's totally what they can get away with. I, th- I think most importantly, without getting caught. Oh yeah, or or even like getting not getting caught, but most importantly, not getting in trouble. Yes, someone can see you doing it, but if they don't care, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, and and that's what I actually put on my list of things we can do to improve. I think there needs to be more consequences, mm-hmm. and so I think not just um, not just in more clear cut situations where it's a case of rape or some kind of other sexual assault just everyday consequences about boys destroying stuff or them bullying i i think without some kind of pushback they're just going to keep pushing the boundaries further out mm-hmm. well and i think um you know kind of dipping back into the subject of play um that's something we've kind of talked about previously where in in situations where kids are at play and there aren't really adults there to be the authority um, ideally what happens is that if one kid is being a little shit and is you know acting an asshole to the other kids the other kids are going to stop playing with him and that's the consequence and that's like the biggest consequence if you're a kid right is that people don't want to play with you but you you need to also instill um sort of like the values and, and the confidence in like the girls in that situation to be able to say like this is not okay, like, we're not going to accept this. Oh, yeah. I mean, so many times just even in a situation like bullying, sometimes it's just kind of allowed to persist because Mm -hmm. there's no real consequences. Mm -hmm. And even in simple consequences, like you were saying, that people stop getting played with. Just even if you have a friend who is being a jerk, just stop seeing them. And if they ask, actually tell them. Yeah. Um, I was reading this one article, I think it was in The Guardian, and, and they were talking about how they discovered their friend actually raped someone like 10 years ago. Oh, my God. And the number one thing he brought up as to why he's been changing his behavior since then was because two of his friends stopped seeing him when they learned that. Mm. And he kind of examined himself and realized, like, oh, wait, I'm the asshole. Um, and, and that's obviously the ideal outcome yeah. from that. 
of course, a lot of people are just so self-absorbed that they like that might not even still bother them. But you would have to think that if they were friends whose who, opinion you valued, you would have to think to yourself, okay, well, what am I doing wrong here? Yeah, I'm, I mean, for sure, because there's been time where I was, I've confronted mm-hmm. my friends over behavior that mm-hmm. I thought was harmful, <laughs> only to learn that they thought I was the asshole, right. and they really didn't care about my opinion all that much. It's and like, then well, so I'm just like, well, maybe we shouldn't have been friends in, in the, the first, first place. place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that it is a good point, though, that you do, like, as an adult, and as a kid, too, but, you know, like, we're talking to adults here, it's a, it is important to hold your friends accountable, you know, and, and for you to be critical in your thinking as well. And just because somebody is your friend, if you see them do something or you hear them kind of talking in a way that's just like, mm, I don't know about that, like, you don't just give them a pass just because they happen to be your friend and, and you usually like them. You know, it's it's really important to, to hold your friends accountable. And it's super uncomfortable and you don't want to. But do you want to continue being friends with somebody who's kind of gross? No, I I totally agree. You know? um, on a separate topic of kind of other things I think that can be improved, I was thinking about this idea of like a safe space. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you hear that word a lot, but I think boys in this circumstance need kind of a safe space to start experimenting with a new identity because mm-hmm. we're talking a lot about school and how all this plays out in school i feel like school is the biggest threat mm-hmm. when you get there you kind of want to fit into your mold just to vanish right like mm-hmm. be neither seen nor heard get through the day and go home mm-hmm. and so if you kind of act out do something different or god forbid do something that is more girl-like you feel like you're going to draw unwanted attention. Right. So you need this safe space to kind of experiment and see what's right. Totally. Well, and because a big part of what kind of keeps masculinity intact is that because all of the other men in any given situation, you know, hypothetically, are also so like aware and afraid about their masculinity being infringed upon or like not being up to par if they see another man who's not living up to his masculinity they immediately drop the hammer on them just to to be like you are failing at masculinity to draw the attention away from themselves and that they might be failing at masculinity too right so yeah if you're the kid in that situation and you you know uh, feel like experimenting with your gender you are living in fear that all the other people around you are going to drop the hammer on you. And for anyone who's listening, if they think this idea of dropping the hammer sounds ridiculous, it is, but it's so true. It happens. I have lost track of the number of times, especially like late junior high, early, pretty much like all of high school, actually. Anytime you do something that was not manly, it's gay. Yeah. Or like, what are you, gay? What are you, gay? Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, are you serious right now? I mean, yeah. and I've told you this before, but... Me and my friends were, like, so hyper-aware of, like, what was the most masculine thing to do in this situation. And it sounds ridiculous to bring it up, but it it totally happened. And we would talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like, after school, we would kind of be, like, running through the day and, like, no joke, like, thinking about our masculinity. And, like, did we act like a man in these situations? I'm like, we're completely brainwashed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing it, it is brainwashing you know and and like we're saying it starts it starts from birth you know you st- at birth i you know babies that i've had in my classroom they're coming in in onesies there's three-month-old babies that are like oh you know 
daddy's future quarterback and stuff like that. And it's just like, like, why? Why are you like putting this on them? What What do you get out of that? Why do you need your baby who has a penis to be a man? You know, to be this like masculine man. And there's just I don't know. I think there's just so much like fear around it, and which there shouldn't be, you know, because like really, you know, we're talking a lot about boys and girls, but realistically there's a a spectrum of gender expression, Mm -hmm. you know, and there, you know, and it change it can change day to day, especially with little kids, you know, like they're trying on all kinds of different things. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think you brought up this idea about being free or like Mm -hmm. having the freedom for me. That's what it's felt like after being out of college Mm -hmm. when there's no other like masculine benchmark around me that I need to try to conform to Mm -hmm. I do feel freer Mm -hmm. I even in college probably all throughout high school and even college it was my lifelong goal to find a way to keep up with sports without actually watching sports (laughs) and like every nerd has had this problem I at least dozens of times have run google searches like sites to get sports digest I used to download apps (laughs) to keep up with sports i used to like get these like sports recaps oh my god i i I know how insane this sounds and then when i graduated school i'm just like i hate sports yeah i have nothing against them but they're so boring i can't bear to read about them anymore so funny um and it's just been freeing it's one less thing off my mind but it Mm -hmm. was a totally like arbitrary thing i felt like i needed to know about mm-hmm. or to do have you ever seen the it crowd yes there's an episode exactly like oh, that yeah <laughs> i know and like i think they like come upon some site in that yeah. show or something the, could they give they give the guys a script of what to say about yes. the, the like soccer game from the night before yes. <laughs> but for no, exactly that reason and and i remember when i got my iphone one of my first thoughts when i learned how to do push notifications was like oh i can like passively get all this sports information <laughs> Just to keep up your facade of masculinity. Just to keep my facade of masculinity. Yeah. So can I ask you a question? What like, what was your motivation in wanting to keep up the facade of masculinity? I I think a lot of it, well, it's maybe a couple things. I think there's always that idea of judgment, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you don't want to know people think badly of you. Mm-hmm. And even if they think badly of you on something you're proud of, you it still kind of takes the edge off when you know they don't like you. Mm-hmm. I think it's also, especially in school, part of your survival in that situation is having friends. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing worse than being isolated and being a loner. Mm-hmm. But after school was out, when I was on my own, it was great. I got mm-hmm. to do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. But because I had a job and I had money, I actually could do whatever I wanted. When you're in school and you're a prisoner, mm-hmm. you're your only hope for survival is your fellow inmates right Mm. like you got to buddy up yeah um and so like if you're not talking the talk like it is very prison like now that i think about it like yeah (laughs) like if you're not talking the talk yeah you're gonna be out in the cold Mm. interesting i mean did you feel any kind of pressure like that to conform to a more like female identity or i think it's different um because because i think for girls it's more about being beautiful 
and not necessarily about being feminine in particular. Mm. Um, it's more about being beautiful because I was I was trying to think about that for myself. Like, do I worry about appearing too masculine or like not feminine enough? And I don't think that's what it is. I think I worry about being perceived as ugly. And I think that if I if I look in the mirror and I think, oh, I look masculine, what that really means is that I think I look ugly, mm. you know? And so it's it's all tied together, right? It's, you know, be like being more feminine is associated with being more beautiful. But I think at least my, my perception for, for women um, and like female identifying people is that the motivation is being considered beautiful. And and part of that is is being feminine. Um, and part of being feminine is being thin and, you know, having clear skin and having long hair mm. and knowing how to do makeup. And so it's it's all kind of tied together. But um, but yeah, it's I think it's a little bit different. Whereas like for you, it was specifically about being perceived as manly and masculine. Yeah, it's definitely more based on behavior because mm -hmm. because I'm even thinking about again, kind of high school where like this is so stark. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of helpful for me to go back to that. If there was a girl who didn't kind of exhibit any feminine traits, mm -hmm. but she was hot, totally absolved right. of any kind of exactly. social. Yeah. Um, like if, you know, there could be a girl who's like chopping wood, but if she's hot while she's doing it, great. Best wood chopper ever. Right? Th that's all that matters. Yeah. Right. So that's what I mean. It's like, <laughs> I think for women, it's, it's not necessarily about being feminine. It's about being beautiful. Yeah. And, and for men, it's totally the opposite extreme. Mm -hmm. Like almost if you're ugly but masculine and get the hot chick, best man ever, right? right? You're just kind of yeah. like Humphrey Bogart yeah. character. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, men, there's there's almost no expectation of, of being beautiful, you know? Not not like there is for women. No, because like if you're too beautiful, it's like, whoa, bro, how long did you spend on your hair this right, morning? Exactly. Right, exactly. Then that's yeah. not masculine and then it's a bad thing. Yeah, no, you need to be like casually like handsome this kind yeah. of like heath ledger character right. right where you're just like rugged and totally and like not fat oh but... god forbid yeah god forbid but yeah like it's it is interesting how there there's that difference there but i think we wandered a little bit yeah uh, <laughs> what i was trying to get get at was uh like for kids you know even now we're we're talking in this like binary of like boys versus girls but realistically and and increasingly um there are kids and adults who don't strictly identify as a boy or as a girl and that's that's gonna be happening more and more and more and luckily you know parents are becoming more accepting of that still like not everybody for sure but i i think another thing that is important for educators and parents and everybody to do is to just at like a recognize and acknowledge that the the gender binary is is something that we made up and that people don't even if you do identify as a man as like a cisgender man like like you were saying it's impossible to 100 percent identify with every marker of masculinity so there's always going to be some element of the other in your identity and we need to acknowledge that and for some people it's more like 50 50 and some people don't identify as any gender at all so we need to really recognize that and acknowledge that and accept that and be vocally teaching that and saying that this is fine this is another way of being you yeah know? and i think that idea 
of teaching mm-hmm. and kind of hearing that from someone older than yourself. One of the mm-hmm. last things I was really thinking about, especially with boys, having some kind of mentor, mm-hmm. whether that's just at school and and in looking into this, there's a lot of programs after school that deal with boys and their masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them all center around safe spaces and mm-hmm. having a strong mentor, either leading the program or pairing up boys with mentors because either fathers are absent or they themselves are carrying the burden of these problems and sometimes can't give the best counsel or guidance to their son Mm -hmm. for sure and you know the like like you say like a lot of times the the men in your life are just reinforcing the like the toxic masculinity and um and yeah it's important to to have people in your life who who are modeling a different form of masculinity you know one that's not so strict and and not so punishing you know it's just just kind of like more accepting of differences yeah i mean and i mean the last thing i have to add is i think what was most liberating for me and maybe why i keep bringing up school is because that's where it was the starkest Mm -hmm. because when i was home i i never had any kind of burden Mm -hmm. of of being masculine like yeah. i played with barbies i dressed up like a princess mm-hmm. i was the little mermaid in like little plays i would produce Aww, that's so cute and i never really thought about it mm-hmm. but like i knew in the back of my head like you know don't mention this to the other bros <laughs> this is just for home this is just for home yeah uh-huh. <laughs> and so now it's kind of nice like my whole life is is home now it's not yeah. you know totally one or the other for sure so yeah i don't know i think for you know for our boys and you know for for the sake of for their own sake and for the sake of honestly society at large um i think the important thing is you know instilling that you know that like mutual respect for others in the form of like understanding consent and and having just empathy for for all all people you know just generally teaching empathy but also being really aware of gender and how it's constructed and the fact that it's really something made up and trying our very best to lessen our anxiety around it for you know for the for the sake of our kids because all all it does is stress people out yeah i mean we just saw the new documentary all about mr rogers Mm -hmm. and really almost that advice is all you need where he kept on saying like you're good as you are yeah or like something along those lines you're worthy of love yeah just as you are yeah like that's really all you need to hear absolutely i love it our final segment of the podcast is watch list in this segment we recommend one tv show or movie that's flying beneath the radar but worth checking out This episode, we're actually recommending a book called Education at War. This book is a collection of essays that examines how our society's idea about war and our culture of violence has actually infiltrated our public school system. Whether it's how schools are funded, to how students are treated, and how STEM education is taught. The principles and even the tactics of warfare are actually regularly being employed by administrators and educators. And Mari and I got the chance to hear from some of the contributors to this book during a panel discussion at Chicago's Seminary Co-op Bookstore. Like the book, the panelists spoke about this pervasive problem with clarity, careful nuance, and I would say much-needed optimism. 
at least I came away with a wealth of knowledge about a problem I had frankly been trained not to see and with the hope that there's still something we can do about it. So if you want to learn about the sources behind many of the injustices we start to see in education and just generally invested in learning more about how we can improve this vital public service, this is a book for you. Definitely. It was a really interesting uh, discussion over at the seminary co-op. Some really, really cool people a lot of really interesting things to say. Uh, well, that's it for this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, just search for Forward, that's FWD in iTunes or your favorite podcast app to subscribe, or you can subscribe on SoundCloud. We are also on Google Play. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever have any questions, thoughts, or topic suggestions, you can email us at forwardpodcast at gmail.com. That's FWDpodcast at gmail.com. Goodbye for now. Bye. Thank you.